They're all here. The divas, princes, and living legends you should be obsessed with. Sitting down with me. I'm David Goldberg. These are the Luminaries. This time, I'm joined by the comedian Melissa Stokowski, who brings her new musical, The Pieces, a 9-11 conspiracy told through the music of Ashley Simpson, to the duplex on December 3rd. I hope you enjoy. Melissa Stokowski, welcome finally to the podcast. I can't believe this is happening. I cannot either. You've been like one of the spiritual uh, ancient mother of the podcast in a lot of ways. I feel like I run everything by you, so I can't believe you're finally here. I am so excited. Yeah, you've been here all along. I've been here all (laughs) along. And kind of actually, Midtown East is oddly like kind of where I feel like I was born in the city because my first job Mm. was the Capitol Grill on 42nd Street. Whoa. So the fucking wild. So this is yeah, it's it's funny to be like back in this neighborhood even. Hearing about people's New York 20s and like these traumatic formative experiences that we never talk about, I'm so fascinated. I think people are so obsessed with talking about their teen years, but I think it's like such overly trod territory. But then when I hear the fact that you worked at the Capitol Grill on 42nd Street, I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck was going on there? When was this? This was 2014. Woof. I know so much about dry aged steaks and wine. Yeah. (laughs) It's just insane to have like a complete past life in a city. It's really weird. I have that with LA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, well, I guess let's just get going because (laughs) something I've wanted to talk to you about is when and how you got started with comedy. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I revealed this to you the other night in a very weird way. So I was like living in Pittsburgh and I majored in broadcasting in college and I got into sports I got into news it was such a wild path of like figuring out that everything was not right for me by doing it (laughs) and it was insane just like sports sports and like it was so unnatural I was literally like I had note cards with all the play like I didn't know anything Mm. About it. it was well, I, I also like whenever I'm at the gym and I see those like sad, you know, they always have sports channels on. And whenever there's like the girl newscaster on ESPN and she's just like such a shattered human being, totally. I'm trying to even imagine. And it was like you. the beginning of that where everyone was mm. like, you know, what's going to be the new thing? Yeah. Female sports reporters. And I was like, ooh, okay. <laughs> and I'm just like surrounded by all these like hot dudes. I was like, I love that. Yeah. But then like the actual job of it, I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. Yeah, your soul. And like the other male journalists, <laughs> holy shit. Like, yeah. That's a generous word for them. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> completely. Completely. So, yeah, I'm, like, doing, you know, flying around. I get out of college. I'm doing that. I, you know, take an improv class, do whatever, get Amazing. into stand-up, quit. You know, I'm bouncing all over the place. I do this holistic health coach program just to, trying to figure out, like, where I'm going to land. I was doing, as we talked about, kundalini yoga on a regular basis. I was just, like, so much... So intensely leaning into these phases and things. And eventually I kind of got to a place where I was like, I knew I didn't want to stay in Pittsburgh. I knew that all of these things kind of weren't working out. The only thing that kind of had felt right was like writing, performing. And I was either going to go to yoga or go back to one of the open mics that I hated, but ultimately did. And so I just did a year of comedy in Pittsburgh And it was kind of, it was weird. It was almost entirely male. There was like two other women. Um, One of them was just kind of mean and the other one was just a mom. So I didn't really see her 
ever. And there were, you know, some girls who were kind of like in and out and I would like, you know, hang out with them and chat with them a little bit, but it wasn't, I didn't feel a part of the community. I didn't really feel, you know, not that anyone was like, get the fuck out or anything, but I just didn't, you know, really immerse in it or anything. I had some, you know, friends and it was cool, but I just kind of knew that if I wanted to do this, I needed to be in a different place. Yes. So. And then when, Listen, most of this interview is going to be like ABBA and rainbows and happiness, but I do want to hear about, just while we're on this, I do want to hear about your first, the origin story in New York comedy for you. Sure. I mean, I moved here not knowing almost anyone. Wow. My best friend from college lives here. So thankful for her. Her name's Abby. And she was going to Africa for a job at the time and was leaving her apartment for like two months and so I just like subleased from her worked tried to figure out like where I was gonna live like all that kind of stuff and then just literally looked up open mics on these sites that there were at the time which bad slava like literally like the internet so it was like the creek in the cave it was random bars in the East Village mostly and like it was yeah looking back I'm just like wow that was just like kind of bleak like before you find people and you know yeah so this is you you know we've talked about this a lot and I'm sorry to turn you into like this person that I always ask about this but I'm so fascinated because like it's just I feel very lucky because I feel like I came into this scene just as like queer people were really organizing Mm -hmm. but I know that for women in this world you basically have to go through like this terror trauma gauntlet and you either like assimilate into this like male comedian's world and either like become a facsimile of them or you get out alive and like come out with a personality and kind of fuck them and fortunately with you I know it's the latter but I'm just curious about like what that whole thing is, what that circle of hell is like. Yeah, I mean, it was, I think, just, like, trying to be comfortable in spaces that I was not comfortable in because, like, just to do what I needed to do Right. in my art. It was just like, okay, I have to sit through all of this stuff that makes me uncomfortable in a space that makes me uncomfortable, um saying things that I know these people are not going to understand because this material is not for them. Mm. But eventually I just kind of like, you know, once you're here and you meet people and know people and then find out about the other stuff that's going on. It's Did you have a vocabulary when you were starting out and when you were surrounded (laughs) by a lot of these, when you're surrounded by all these like straight dudes, scumbag, um, garbage male comedians and you're like this is not right someone yeah. doesn't feel right back then did you have like a vocabulary for expressing like something's not right here i don't know yeah. what it is is it me or is it them i remember getting it well i was literally like okay i get two or three minutes of this mic and there was like 15 things that i'd heard that pissed me off do i want to mm. use my time Pointing that out and calling out this dude. And I did. I remember ranting, especially at the creek. I remember at, like, the Village Lantern or something or, like, the Grizzly Pear. I remember doing shows there. Just, like, I'm, like, fresh here. Like, baby. And just being, like, so angry about it and thinking it made, like, a little bit of a difference, hopefully, saying that. But then also being, like, okay, now I didn't do my jokes that I wanted to try. (laughs) Because I just came here and just, like, ranted. And is that my, you know... Is that my responsibility? 
maybe in a way it was and sure but also at the end of the day no because i'm here to work on my comedy and benefit myself so yeah it was a weird time and like most of those people i never saw again or you know (laughs) had very few interactions with like later i don't know it was a really weird time and i also learned a lot because pittsburgh is a very conservative place and the stuff i was hearing in pittsburgh was definitely different than here so it was you know assimilating in all areas and then also just being so relieved once i found cool people (laughs) yeah i feel like you are more than anyone i know i feel like with other women comedians you are like the number one like i got your back ride or die i'm here for you babe and i'm wondering how that community formed for you God, I don't know. I mean, I guess I met my closest friends at Mike's Mm. and just doing comedy. And um, I don't know. I mean, I don't find I was just really happy to be able to, like, form friendships with people while doing this because I didn't have that in my last scene except for Mm. maybe, like, one person who was, you know, older and a male. And it was just like I was so excited to have, like, female friends doing it and just being like cool, I can, like, run things by them and, like, you know, have advice and be like, this guy's weird, right? You know, yeah. like, stuff like that is invaluable <laughs> when you don't know what you're doing. It's so funny because I haven't, like, put myself in this mindset in so long of, like, literally, like, 2014, 15, where I was just, like, you know, it's like you're feeling around in the dark almost. I yeah. don't know. That's no. how I felt. I think some people come here with a scene and or friends from a scene or move in a group or something like that, but I was really just very on my own when I first got here. And there is something to be said, because I do this too. I just texted a Virgo comedian we know, and I was like, okay, what's the deal with this guy? Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, he's totally self-involved. Like, it's, yeah. And that's a small example. Like, I know that from your end, you guys have been able to casually organize in a much more powerful way of like, don't talk to him, he's a scumbag. Right. Or yeah. like, yeah, that, that comedian, that male comedian just got a big writing job, but he is a scumbag, scumbag. Yeah, stay yeah, away yeah. from him. Yeah. So like, it is, it's been a, amazing for me to witness like the constellation that's formed where you guys can be like, no, I got your back, but like, I'm watching too. Right, but that took time too. I mean, there was yeah. a lot of, you know, <sighs> there's been a lot. It's it's been a lot. It's ongoing too. Completely ongoing. Because a ongoing. lot of piece of shit men are doing very well in sure. this industry. Yeah, and like a lot of piece of shit men haven't been revealed. A lot of you know piece of shit everywhere. It's you know it is. Um, I don't know. It's it's a lot. But I think that you know if you do have this mentality of kind of like ride or die, you know you being successful does not take away from my success, like, that kind of idea. Mm. I've always been very comfortable with that, so I think it's been easy for me to, like, find friends and really root them on and support them. Sorry, I'm always eating. Um, (laughs) I love that this first scone was just, like, absolutely not. It was a rock. This macaroon, yeah. I think it's from last Passover. Um, That's so funny. When did you... You know, George Severus recently referred to you historically as a downtown diva. (laughs) I miss George. George, come back. Yeah, he can never leave again. And I'm wondering when you started to become kind of a party girl. Like, when did your Parker Posey, (laughs) Chinatown, late night saga begin? Oh, God. I mean, even in Pittsburgh, I, I think it's coming from the restaurant 
world, to be honest with you. I think it's a lot of that. I don't know. I mean, I just always, I love to have a good time. I was not, uh, I don't know, put on this earth to sit. I don't know. I don't know. I think that in Pittsburgh, I found like my gay friends and we would go to this one party. It was like the one cool party in Pittsburgh. It was called Hot Mass. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's like the one thing going on there. And it was um, part bathhouse, part dance party. And all my friends would leave and I'd be like alone dancing in this like light up wall by myself at like six in the morning. And I was just like, oh my God, you know what? I, I might need to live somewhere else. I know as far as New York, I was just always drawn to the downtown area for sure. Um, especially Chinatown. There's something in energy there that I do really like. And um, I met one of my closest friends who lives there and um, we kind of started hanging out. So it was kind of a nice um, while I was, you know, very steeped in comedy and, you know, always working really hard. It's always for me kind of having that balance between like living my life the way I want to live and knowing that I get energy from going out and being social and mm. meeting exciting people and dancing and yes. hearing good music. And like that is going to feed me almost as much as, you know, doing comedy and all of that kind of stuff. Like yeah. not equally, maybe I think creating does give me life in a way that like nothing else can, but that as well. And that kind of needs to be a part of my life and it's balancing because you don't want to go too far in that direction either. So it's, you know, always kind of, but I do feel like what you have, which few other people have is like that you don't affirm. I think a lot of comedians think that you need to like affirm suffering to be, uh, like, a bona fide comedian and sure. I feel like what you have is you're like no I actually want to have fun like we live in New York I should be happy that is something I wanted to live here for a really long time mm-hmm. and I've never wanted to shut myself off from life here mm-hmm. and maybe to be successful in a certain way you have to and maybe at some point I will have to kind of make that choice but I mean I, I've mm-hmm. always had phases of it where like you know we were doing handmaids or we were deep in a show and I'm like I'm not going out for two weeks you know yeah um, and that's, I think, maybe not um, always the way I did it. But, yeah, I think it, I've done it in a pretty sustainable way. So when we last year we saw Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again <laughs> on opening night, IMAX on Mushrooms. <laughs> And That's my favorite sentence, one of my favorite <laughs> memories. I love Kip's Bay. It's just the best. It really cured depression, I feel like too. we really, like, at that point, we'd, like, hung out. We knew each other a little bit. But, like, no one else was excited for this movie <laughs> except for us. And we planned this. I, it was still cold out when we were like, hey, <laughs> we have to see this. And then it came out in full-on July, and we were like, months And ready. that recurred again this year with uh, Maleficent 2 because yeah. we had made the plan to see it about four <laughs> to five months before it came out. I love sequels so much. Me too. And like a lot of times I won't even see the first one. You know what? A sequel that we haven't talked about, Paddington 2. That's Gra- an I never saw film. the first Paddington and I, I saw Paddington 2 and I loved. It's amazing, isn't it? Wow. I know. Sequels that's really so sometimes are better. Yeah, they are. There's a lot. I mean, that's there's a case to be made sure. for X-Men 2, <laughs> Scream 2, etc. When we saw Mamma Mia, there was this amazing moment I noticed. Um, 
There was a trailer. If anyone went to see any movies in 2018, there were 35,000 trailers for Welcome to Marwin. Oh, my God. And it was your first time seeing that trailer, and I remember you kind of, like, teared up a little. You were like, oh, I'm obviously going. You were like, when Christmas comes, I'm going with my mom. And I was like... Wow, because most people I know. No, I did not. You were like, I'm in, which I love because I was like, had to be the shrooms. Because then I saw (laughs) another preview of that, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Okay, that is one thing about me is anything can get me. Yeah, anything. I am so easy to be made sentimental. Yeah, so that's kind of something about (laughs) you that fascinates me. Is like you are obviously very incisive and can be very cutting, but I do think that you are not afraid. Unlike most comedians I know, you are not afraid to be like sentimental, abba loving, abba loving. And I always wondered like. Is it hard to not be cynical in this business? Because I think, like, cynicism is romanticized as part of the art form, which can be really boring. And it eventually just becomes like, oh, here's my mean heart hot take on something. And I always felt like that wasn't ever really your style. And I always wondered, like, is it hard to, like, actually be not automatically cynical about every single thing? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I am so soft. Uh, Don't tell anyone. I don't know. I think, like, honestly, when I am cynical, it's almost as a protection Mm. because everything hurts my feelings. So I am always trying to keep a bit of a wall up, I think, in that kind of way, where if I do immediately shun something, it's probably because maybe I'm a little bit threatened by it. But I think that cynicism is in some ways hand in hand with thinking critically, and I always want to make sure I'm thinking critically. Of course. That is the second thought of Welcome to Marwin, where you're like, oh, God, no, wait, no. But I do think that I approach life in a very open way where I'm just like, I will fucking feel that. Yes. Thank you. And yes. I do. I love to feel. I do. But it's. Um, I think learning to feel is like one of the better parts of get growing up. Yeah, I think so, too. And not being dissociated, at least for me. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, I don't know, when I'm anxious, that's tough because I'm either, like, overloaded with feelings or I know I'm blocking it. And then, yeah. and I notice that now I famously am taking an acting class. I've told everyone mm. I know about it. it. I'm such a nerd, but that was one of the first things that I really realized about myself is I was, like, so open and so emotionally available or just, I was, like, I can't feel a thing. And mm. then I know I'm, like... Blocking something out. I don't know. And you told me you did a monologue of Harper's from Angels in America. And it's interesting because I feel like that character's whole arc is like open the fucking floodgates. Mm-hmm. You know? I actually did a full scene. It's the one where Whoa. she confronts him. Oh. Is that and when he's like, pills. you're ugly? Yes. Oof. Yes. And I just had, I had a really amazing scene partner. <laughs> I hear myself talk about this and I'm like, oh my God, you fucking nerd. But no, I just like kind it. of Don't love it. Don't be cynical. It. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's like, fuck it. Um, yeah, it opened me up in a way where I was like, oh, I can fully lose myself and mm-hmm. I can like go on this ride. Um, And yeah, it was a wild experience. And I don't think it's like possible in every scene. I think like I trusted this partner so much and like I knew the words and I just like it was so in me that I was just like, yeah, fuck it. And I just almost like blacked out every time we did it. Wow. That's that's (laughs) what you want. Yeah, I think so. To become just like 
to to lose yourself. That's the best feeling. Yeah, it was incredible, uh, but also took a lot out of me, and I felt like the rest of the day after we did that scene, I was like a little little different. <laughs> and don't you love also when that happens and people are like giving you feedback after and you're like, well, I don't know what just happened, I, but yeah, sure. Thank you. But cool. Like yeah. I, it almost felt like I wasn't responsible for it or something. Totally. But then I had, I remembered making those choices, which I think that's been helpful for me because I struggle so much with making decisions. I really have a difficult Virgo. time. I just see a path with each choice. And everything seems so permanent sometimes. Yes. You know? So, like, just being able to be in a moment and make a choice and be supported and see the results and see that a lot of times they're good is, like, good for me to experience and then kind of bring that into I'm curious because you told me that this summer you added a new level to your performance, which is integrating music into (laughs) your set. I'm trying to. And that seemed like a moment of, like— Truly not overthinking and just making a psychotic choice and yeah. like riding it out and then being like, oh, wait, this works. This is kind of because to works. me, it's so you. I love it. The issue is that the majority of shows are not set up to play right. tracks. So can you explain like totally. what it so, is like, or Just what one night, actually, Gabby Hornig was there. He was hosting. Larry was there. I feel like Larry walked in as it was happening. Where and was I'm this? doing this. It was oddly. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay, so Today Ticks did a comedy series. Gibberish, right. And it was one of those shows. It was actually very fun, and it was this girl who took my Sex and the City bus tour like two years ago. Wow. And just followed me on Instagram, and was she was booking the show because she works for fucking Today Ticks. So, I love when that happens. The strangest. Yeah, I love when that it was happens. It's so sweet. And, um, yeah, I've been doing this Mamma Mia bit about how— we should approach having a family in any way and that a Mamma Mia can happen anywhere and it's the dumbest shit I've ever done. And then all of a sudden I saw, like, the guy playing music in between comedians um, was right next to the stage. So I saw on his computer that he had Mamma Mia queued up and I just kind of, like, winked at him and I was like, play it. And he just starts playing it and I did the bit over the song and it was just, like, added a whole other level of stupidity and... It was so dumb, but I was like, this makes sense for it in all capacity. So it works really well at Union Hall because there's a sound person who's right. like ready to do it. So it's been great doing it at like Starfuckers and whatever. Um, but yeah, some bar shows, it's just like, it's just not going to work out. But luckily the bit works fine otherwise. But then like, you know, did it at the gutter at Comedians You Should Know and like, God bless them. They tried so hard. But it's just like then everyone's like, is there a weird sound in the air? And it's just like, come. Which does lead to Ashley Simpson because her life was literally ruined (laughs) by a sound person not doing their job well. Which is a conspiracy in itself. That is a conspiracy in itself. Yeah. Everything is a conspiracy. And I think that's where I'm cynical. (laughs) That's where my cynicism lies is in that everything is a conspiracy. (laughs) Everything is. So, yeah, let's um, let's really dive in. Okay. I December 3rd, the duplex is going to be graced with the 
Uh, I know you've done workshops of it, but this is going to be kind of the official premiere of the pieces, a 9-11 conspiracy told through the music of Ashley Simpson. And um, this is really something I I just can't believe it's it's happening. This has been like a dream. Uh, and I've been so excited to be a part of any conversations leading up to it. And I'm just – I want to go all the way back to how <laughs> this – Originates like how? How did these? How did nine eleven? Ashley Simpson and you doing this come together? Um, I guess. I mean, it's this is like maybe three ish years ago. I moved to um, a new apartment. I was like trying to find another job, and my roommate at the time was like, "Oh, work for Kings of Karaoke and host <laughs> karaoke." And I was like, "Fuck yeah!" So I worked midnight to four a.m. What? On Saturdays at Cobra Club, hosting karaoke, <laughs> and I would open with pieces of me every time, wow. and, and people went nuts for it. Wow. And it was just like a really fun way to like kick off. I mean, my job was literally dancing and like encouraging people yeah. to do karaoke, which okay. is the dumbest job ever. I had a similar was... job at a dance party in LA at the Echoplex every weekend where I, I was part that. of like the hype dance crew where I yeah, it was that. like 12 a.m. to 4 a.m. and just That's like one job I've always it. wanted to have, particularly for bar mitzvahs. I was about to I've say always you would wanted slay to be bar Yes. I've yeah. always wanted to have that job. I feel like Jewish girls would see you and be like I want to be her. Maybe. Yeah. Or they would hate me. But the grandparents would love me. Uh, and that is what The counts. moms Whoever's would hate you. The grandparents yeah. would love you. The the daughters would have issues. Yeah. Either way. Yeah, it could go either way for that. But yeah, I, I love job. I love that. So you were doing So I'm doing, doing that, that. And my friend Joy uh, worked with me, who is now directing it. And I, I just kind of always had this idea of, like, I wanted to give her a tale of redemption. Mm. Because I really don't think that any of it was her fault. Mm. I think that, like... You know, capitalism, her family, and then ultimately this, you know, huge, huge failure on her part. Like, none of that was really all her. No. But it was some of it. You know, like, her wanting to do it, her being into it, but, like, also a product of her environment. I don't know. No, she is a tragic figure in that, like, she was— she was set up. She was playing a part, and she w- the part ends in failure, and, and she she didn't have a choice. There's right. no way she had a choice. Right. For her to have it's, triumphed would have been extraordinary. I don't think and that not it's everyone possible is in that situation yeah. because even Jessica Simpson is not a true triumph. No. You know what I mean? And, like, she's— Underneath that, I don't know. The whole family, it's just like, I don't think there was a place for her to really be successful. No. Because none of this was based on talent and skill and art. This is what we were being sold. So she was just, you know, as everything was in that time, I think. And, you know, kind of how it is now, too. But, like, especially in that time. And it was—she was caught, I think, between two eras, which is, like, the Josie and the Pussycats, mass market, (sighs) Sam Goody pop star era, and the reality TV era. So she just, like— She's kind of this— The reality show was her making this album. mm. So arguably the reality show was more the product than the actual album. And that was—and this is pre-Housewives and pre-Kardashians where, like, you can have a reality show and you're in control of it ostensibly. She—it really was at the forefront of the era. So I don't— She really was like a toy. And Ryan Cabrera has talked about the difference between being on the Hills and being on the Ashley Simpson show. And he 
has said that was all real. Like, they were fighting. They were dating. They were doing it. And they, the cameras just showed up. Wow. So then for him to be on the hills, he was like, oh, this is very different because it was, you know, them almost feeding them lines or feeding Absolutely them Absolutely feeding so, them lines. So, you know, yeah, it's almost two insane industries, which is also wild to think about, like, the time of that with writer strikes at that time and them literally being like, oh, okay, the OC is a huge hit. Let's make the hills with no writers mm. and not even paying actors. So it's like that's a whole other thing. Wow, that's interesting. Um. <laughs> So, yeah, I kind of just, like, had this idea that I wanted to do a story. I remember just sitting in my room. I was living in Greenpoint at the time. And it was a very productive month. I remember I took, like, one month, and I was just like, I'm not dating anyone. I'm not hooking up with anyone. I'm, like, no crushes. And it's the only time it's ever happened. It was one month, and it was, like, August of, like, 2016 or something. I don't know what happened before. Something bad had to have happened. And then I was just like, I need to take a month. And I just had, like— a lot of ideas. I remember I started sketching and it was bad. And I just had this idea that like maybe it's a conspiracy thing. And then it hit me. I was just like, oh, 9-11, of course, Texas, Bush administration. And um, yeah, sat on it for quite some time. Did Handmaids, did Fiddler, which I think were no better preparation to, you know, kind of learn how to create a show and to like understand what you have to do logistically because I think that's one of the toughest things in comedy is kind of like you're also a producer 100% I mean you can hire a producer but like also you can't hire a producer like you just have to fucking do it right so yeah it's crazy I mean it's um it's been wild doing it by myself writing it by myself I it was kind of important to me personally to just kind of see exactly what I could do yeah just on my own? I don't know. And what's kind of been surprising, like, what have been challenges with doing this yourself um, that you didn't expect? Or what's, like, gone really smoothly where you're like, oh, I'm really excited to showcase this part of myself I didn't know I had? Yeah. You know, what's been surprising for I mean, you? I really <clears throat> um, haven't done anything, like, long form in character besides, you know, handmaids and everything. Like, if I'm on stage by myself, I'm doing stand-up, mostly. So... That's interesting. I mean, the memorizing, it's so much. It's almost like just keeping my own anxiety in check and just doing the work and, like, knowing. I mean, it's different, like, you know, when you write something with someone else, you can be like, oh, my God, this is great. You can look at it a little bit less critically because it's like it was with someone and, like, they're saying it was good ideas. Then when I write something by myself, I'm like, wait, is this good? Is this funny? And, you know. Of course. Or you're like, this is the best thing that's ever been written. And then two days later, you're like, what happened? Completely. (laughs) Are are we okay? What is this? What language is this? Yeah. But I do, what's, you know, based on what we've been talking about, I do think you may be the only person who can tell this story because I think any other parody musical about Ashley Simpson would end up being really, um, it would just – I could see it getting really, like, mean yeah. in in a boring way within five minutes. And I feel like you actually, based on your sense of sweetness and your not immediate uh, inclination to cynicism, I actually think I'm I'm excited to see you tell this story because I feel like you'll be able to, like, obviously make fun of the obvious things that need to be made fun of while, like, being kind to the character because it's not fun to just like sit and watch someone get made just bashed. Yeah. Yeah, Like totally. It's so repetitive. Totally. And I think the like my main uh, 
concern going into the character. I just want her to be like genuine and just like mm. so, um, you know, her motivations are what they are and what you see is what you get kind of. And she doesn't really have this other agenda except for a little bit just wanting to be a pop star for selfish reasons. You know what I mean? But otherwise, yeah. it's just like this main agenda and it is sincere. I can understand where the 9-11 thing comes in because I feel like, you know, for our generation, 9-11 is when we lost our innocence. And I also feel like for our generation, 9-11 was the start of this, like, hyper-simplification of emotions because, I mean, listen, if you're listening to this podcast at this point, you know that I'm obsessed with 9-11. Yes. And, you know, you know that I am a Susan Faludi kind of... I'm I'm pretty much wearing combat boots right now, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, basically, if you were in our generation, when we were kids, George Bush was like, 9-11 happened. Now we feel sad. Now we go to war. Now we buy things. Yeah. And it was this very, like, don't actually deal with this. Don't mourn. Don't grieve. Just, like, do what you're told. And the response was this kind of like, well, I'm going to wear heavy eyeliner and straighten my bangs and be emo, which is just as simplistic and stupid as it's almost like our oppressor um, and and our reaction to the oppressor are like as equally um, like lacking subtlety and complexity. So Ashley Simpson is such a perfect like character for that time because the 2000s were so like stripped of any real complex thought because it was just such like a basic wasteland so I'm so excited to see how it all ties together with her and and Bush yeah I mean it really feels like it was just like the other foot dropped and like the fun that we're having the Josie and the Pussycats Mm. all of that just kind of did like Vanish. So I did enjoy kind of like trying to keep that alive in yes. her going through that and then also being like actually close to the situation. And then this album does it, it's full of bops. It's so fun. Mm. Like the subject of the songs like oddly just like fit in really well with what I was trying to do. So it just really kind of I don't know made more sense than I anticipated. But, like, it was fucking crazy, like, going through, like, A, all of the truther stuff, which I do make fun of a lot, but then, like, also I'm like, well, we should also think about this. Because there's, like, architecture firms and, like, all of these people who have formed just, like, coalitions to be like, no, that's not how it works. Mm. Like, it's, I've found some wild shit. Not that I've gone down the rabbit hole entirely, but I've I'm like, okay. I have to say. There's something going The on. more that I've read about Times Square queer history and, like, how much effort was put into cleaning up Times Square. Fran. Fran. Fran Leibowitz, who is kind of Melissa and my uh, patron <laughs> Our godmother, saint. yeah. Yeah. Um, the more I see, like, wow, it really all worked out that there was this huge thing that, like, suddenly made Giuliani, like, the most beloved, all-powerful. <laughs> and another tourist attraction. Right. And then, yeah, I feel like 9-11, they were able to just, like, finally, they could clear out Manhattan. Finally, finally, finally. So there is, the more I've re- I'm reading about New York in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm like, hmm. Everything fell perfectly into place for that. Yeah. In some very weird, fucked up way. But even in that world that came, Ashley Simpson couldn't fit into it because I think what's tragic about her is that 
she didn't know that she was a joke. Like, I don't think, I don't think she knew that she was a part of this like emo pastiche. I think she really like on earnestly met thought something and meant something and she didn't understand she was a part of a, a new machine. Right. Because I'm sure that, I mean, there was not at least shown in the show, like she dyes her hair black, she whatever. But like these decisions are not made by the mm. pop stars ever. That's not her. None of this <laughs> album is her. Like yeah. it's, it's crazy. But honestly, her life has turned out seemingly pretty great. She married Diana Ross's son. She has two really cute kids. She looks really good. She looks great. Her sister is a billionaire, I think. Yeah. Jessica is fucking rolling in it. Yeah. Like, and not from music or, and I mean, I guess indirectly, but like her shoe line, she's designing everything. I don't know what the fuck she's doing, but people are buying it. Which to me is also like... Because Bush's whole thing after 9-11 was like, well, if you want to support America, just spend money. money. And it is interesting that the Simpson sisters are like, whether they were the victims of a capitalist machine, they also somehow like learned how to play play it. So they're they're like very of their era. Yeah. And like good, I guess, because they did the work. But your musical asked the questions. What if? What if? <laughs> what if it's not all as it seems? What and what if, if the, the, the Simpson sisters we know today aren't aren't who we think they are? Exactly. Exactly. And um, you know, in so well, I'm not gonna give too much away. But yeah. We don't know anything. Right. It is kind of my overlying idea of everything we do not know anything and i mean just with the stuff that's come out this week you know about prince andrew about you know all of this kind of stuff you know what stuff with prince did andrew? you hear about this um oh my god i'm, I'm the whole, die. i'm obsessed oh god there was a reporter she had a her mic was hot and god i should probably look up exactly. Okay, what I didn't she mean said. to put you on the no, spot, totally but you know fine. that I just watched all of The Crown last month, and I'm like, oh my I'm god, completely... you did! I'm obsessed with it. It's taken forever. Listen, for you can't rush perfection. I know, I know. But I literally like say some of Claire Foy's lines in my head to myself all day, day in, day out. Yeah. Okay, so Amy Robach is, I think, how you say her name, was just on a hot mic, and she was talking about how she had like three hours of interviews with a woman who said she was forced to have sex with Prince Andrew while she was living as Jeffrey Epstein's sex life. And I think that's a whole new level of mistrust of the media because the royal family squashed that so fast. Yeah. Wow. And like... So that was in the 2000s, you think? This was, I think the clip is from 2015. Oof. Let me. Sorry, I was. Well, check my mean, facts before I do. But Elizabeth yeah, I think it was 2015. Kids are mostly duds, and I think after all the Diana stuff, she was like, okay, we're done. I know. I know. But it's just my point being like, we just have no, no idea what's actually going on. See, I think the opposite. I think we know everything. We just don't talk about it. And then when we all suddenly as a society decide that we're not accepting something anymore, it's like, okay. I think everyone knew about Jeffrey Epstein. Everyone knew about Harvey Weinstein. Everyone knew about Brian Singer. 
And then suddenly we decide that we're on a moralistic high ground and we're going to go after them. And it's like, okay, great. What about four years ago? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What about four years ago when someone did try to speak out and it was squashed? But you're right. There is an inherent, I think, distrust that we all feel. But if it's not blatant proof and if it's not... Or if it's not convenient enough to Mm. go after it, then people don't want to. So when you've been working on this musical, something I'm curious about, we're in this really weird time where nostalgia for the 90s has become not a trend or a fascination, but an industry in itself. And that's one thing that I don't like about the project, to be honest with you. I don't want to lean into that. I don't think it's like... I don't know. I'm finding it a little bit less interesting, like this nostalgia thing. I think it's important to look back and to like notice trends and whatever, but I don't, I don't know. I feel like this project is kind of a nice refutation of that because 90s nostalgia is predicated on this notion of like, well, before 9-11, we were all happy. Look, Saved by the Bell, 1999 by Charlie XCX. And yours is like, I'm actually going to go in and like look at the wreckage. So I actually think you're you're not – I wouldn't accuse you of being in that And I think after people see the show, they'll be like, okay, cool. But just the idea of it sounds like – Oh, Ashley Sims are gonna hear all the songs. No. You know what I mean? But it's not. And I am, but I am curious about your thoughts about like why this is this such a huge thing now. It's like there was there, New York has a '90s fest. Like this is oh, such God. a thing. You know? I mean, a people will spend money on it, so of course they'll do it. Right. Um, I think there is this false sense of everything was safe. Mm. And it Everything. wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Maybe better, but like also, like Fran says in the documentary, yeah, of course it seems good. You were younger. Right. Like life is better when you're younger. So you're going to look back to whatever time you felt good yeah, and be like, that was the best. And we can pay to be reminded of that in so many ways. But also I think that that's detrimental because then you're not focused on creating newness now and that's the danger of nostalgia is pulling yourself out of right now and I don't know that doesn't it doesn't always seem uh, it seems sometimes very cheap and not productive so with this show um, where would you like to take it or you know where where do you see it going because you know Handmaid's in 2018, uh, Melissa and Marsha Belsky co-created Handmaid's Tale, the musical, featuring like any Brooklyn comedian you love that I write about was pretty much in that show. And it started at Union Hall. And I don't know that you ever planned this, but it went to the Bell House and then it went to the Kennedy Center in D.C. And I can't imagine that you guys were like, we're taking this shit to the Kennedy (laughs) Center when you were writing it. (laughs) So, you know, it was such a huge journey. It's so exciting. And I'm just so curious, like with something like this, where do you see this show or is there something you do you have kind of any visions for it or anything like that? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously we didn't plan for Handmaids, and I think that was helpful and being surprised and, you know, excited with the success. So I don't want to, you know, put too much on it. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited to have a show that is, uh, like, portable, that I can, you know, because it isn't a huge cast, I can take it to festivals and do things. I mean, I would like to go to the Fringe. 
this year in August. Yes. And um, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to take it to L.A. I think that I haven't been there in a long time, and I want to see if this type of thing that we're doing in New York also works there. Yeah. Um, Fringe would be really great for you because, like, what you were saying about acting class, about having to lose yourself, I feel like Fringe, because you have to do it every single fucking night yeah. for, like, six weeks, you would really, like, get, get. I mean, it would kill you, but it would also, like, right. rebuild you. Well, also, I feel like, like, I'm very excited for the third, but I'm like, I just know this is going to change so much. Mm. And, like, at Fringe, I feel like I could really, you know... It could become an, a different show at that point. Like, yeah. Not a different show, but you know what I mean. Like, you know, so much. And I just want to go. I want to see everything there. So yeah. I would really like to do that. Um, you know, I'm open to it all. Amazing. Um, I So that's December 3rd. At December 3rd the at the Duplex. Duplex. Yep. So I want to talk about, you know, you... You are a tour guide on the Sex and the City tour bus. Um, you have a podcast, Speaking of Carrie, which is a Sex and the City recap podcast, which I've been on, <laughs> thankfully. Yes, um, And also, you know, you I know that you're on the Sirius XM. Um, it's it's the Andy Cohen, John Fugel saying, or, or what what show is it? So on, they actually just changed formats um, and moved him later, but I was always. Going on Tuesdays in the middle of the day with John Fugel saying on this political show. Amazing. It was cool. It was, you know, a fun, like, panel. I got to, um, he was, he's a great interviewer, and I got to, you know, watch that up close. We interviewed Marianne Williamson. Oh. It was, that was My dream. a gift. Yeah, it was pretty wild. So um, I'm just, yeah, I'm curious with those because I feel like you have... Really, uh, as opposed to many people we know who are just kind of doing, like, dungeon shows in Brooklyn, you know, I feel like you've been exposed to larger or broader audiences, whether through the tour bus, through the podcast, or through doing this John Fuglesang show. And I'm just curious, like, how that's either, you know, how that's informed what you do, like, being in front of different sorts of crowds. Totally. I mean, it's also shown me that, like, you can find your niche audience Mm. and produce for them. Yeah. And I think John does a really good job of that. Um, And Andy Cohen, for that matter. His is (laughs) huge. I mean, you know, yeah, all of that is um, fun and wild. But, yeah, I think that it was good for me to, like, learn how to be calm in those parts. Like, we interviewed Cynthia Nixon. I wanted to lose my fucking mind. And staying calm in those times where I'm like, yeah, I'm live on air with, you know, a huge person. I mean, four people are listening because it's Sirius XM and uh, they're all in rental cars. But it's still that person. Yeah. So it's, yeah, that was really cool. I think that um, I famously did not go out on Friday to do a roadshow in Connecticut. And it is always just... To me, helpful and a good idea to leave New York for a moment, do stand-up, see how that is, and, of course, return immediately. Yes. (laughs) Come back as soon as possible. Immediately, if not sooner, return to New York. You have Um, what I have, which is like, if I miss one party, (laughs) I will never forgive uh, myself. And yeah, on Friday night, you were like, maybe I can make it back in time. Well, I could have too. But then I was like working the next day. I mean, I've... 
this is where, and now that I am the age that I am, do I keep making these insane choices? <laughs> like, my downtown friends, I mean, my line is like, I'll be there in 10. You know what I mean? It's just like, I will absolutely go. I've done... You know, stories for different times. But I have, yeah, I've shown up at any hour. And, um, yeah, I'm, you know, that's that's all part of it is reining in and then <laughs> going out. I don't know. So let me ask you while I have you here, what are your kind of, what are you looking forward to in your 30s? Mm, great question. Because I just feel like we are at a really exciting age where it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. We survived. We're out, getting out of your twenties. To me, it's I can't there's believe, nothing. Yeah, I can't uh, believe I uh, didn't have a baby when I was fifteen. <laughs> I can't believe that. Like I'm just like here. I mean, honestly, I have been like this since I was literally like eight. Mm. I have just always wanted. I was a nightmare of a child. I was just like, can I? go to shows with my friends, please. Like, can you leave me alone? They're like, you're nine. Like, get in your room. Like, so I'm just happy to, like, have freedom and be able to, like, do the things that I want to do. And while it does, you know, get a little bit scarier as your biology continues, um, you know, I think feeling less of that feeling of, like, missing a party is the end of time. I think that I'm getting a little more chill about that and knowing that, like, everything is happening all the time. So mm. that is good. But also I don't want to lose that. I'm like, I don't want to, you know, just be boring as well. But it's no, I think <laughs> I think, like, just lessening of anxiety, um, hopefully just accumulation of, you know, projects I've done, shows that I've done, all these things kind of moving me forward in a way where I can do bigger and better things because I have the experience to back it up. So I think just kind of moving forward in a really kind of like grassroots, like, yes, I have the experience. I've done this before, Mm. that kind of feeling versus in your 20s, just kind of being like, I'm breaking out, I'm doing this for the first time, you know. I mean, there's always going to be first, but I think a lot of my 20s was really felt like just blazing this trail that I you know, never planned and had, you know, no idea. So maybe going forward with a little bit more of like a light. And a Which seems, I think that's why this moment is kind of exciting. Cause I feel like now that you've done Handmaid's Tale and Fiddler on the Rooftop Bar, I feel like there's this sense of like, oh yeah, this is so obviously the logical proje- pro- progression. And it's so like, it so makes sense for your journey. And it's like all these things about you. And, and we get to kind of watch you make, um, artistic choices and not not be you know the the throwing pasta at the wall phase is very exciting Mm -hmm. and it's very romantic but it's exciting to see like yeah like a a vertical evolution yeah more or less yeah being a little bit more of a grown-up about it and yeah yeah it's crazy it's really crazy you're coming up too dude (laughs) i can't wait for yours i'm like but I, i uh, what's happening with me that I've been thinking about is like I really have no as much control as I want to have uh, about 
this, I clearly have no idea what the real logical progression for me should be. I'm so like, I think I'm the last person to know. So I really yeah, need I to just agree like with that. I feel like you do. Really? I feel like you do in a sense, but also like I've seen just big changes in you. Mm. Like it always cracks me up um, when you were talking about like, you know, oh, well, I got to set aside some time when we're in Fire Island to like journal about this and think about this. And then just realizing like, no, you don't. Actually, I'm just going to get fucking naked and have a dance party about it. And that's going to be the same, if not better, effect. A hundred percent better. A hundred percent better. From the second we stepped onto that island, you were, I feel like, healed and changed, as was I the brief time that I was there. No, you were a star. Literally, I mean, that's what I mean when I say that brings energy as well. And like maintaining that side of life. I think that's one of the things I'm most excited about as I get older is like, I don't think I was able to have fun when I was in my 20s. Mm, I was so in it. And I thought that doing something or writing something was going to be my ticket out. And of course, I couldn't do anything or write anything because I was so paralyzed, obviously, by that expectation. And now I'm like, oh, there's a possibility that I could just be like a naked, happy, gay baby. And that actually like is enough. Existing is so scary. Mm. I feel like we're always, and we've talked about this, trying to find the thing where it feels like you can go to sleep or you can stop or, Mm. you know, what will make, you know, the anxiety stop, writing something, dating something, all of these things when it's really just being a gay, naked, happy baby. Yeah. uh, And I guess that's why I'm drawn to you because you're like ready to, you want to have fun and you don't want to like cleave to some notion um, of, like, suffering in your work as, like, the only means of authentic living. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you for teaching me that. And and you were the yeah. best guide on Fire Island. Actually, and on the way to Fire Island, we got stoned and talked about 9-11. We and it did. was, like, the best thing ever. It was really fun. Yeah, yeah. it was an amazing, I mean, walking through the meat rack. Yeah. In platforms with you. Yeah. Bug bites for days. The best. Yeah, we Just saw the we best. saw an art performance where people were lasers and puddles. Yeah, we're sticking lasers and candles in, in orifices. <laughs> and it was incredible. It was. Yeah. Um, it was. Okay, well, we are all gonna be there on December third. Thank you. Get your tickets now. Um they're on Melissa's Instagram, which is at M underscore S T O K S. I've debated just changing to Melissa.stakowski. And the reason I haven't is because when I was on Sirius so much, at the end of the show, you just list your handle really quick. Mm. So we'll see what happens. That's another thing that's happening with people our age is they're changing their handles. Famously, Ruby changed oh, yes, hers, Ruby which was <laughs> devastating to the community. But, you know, it's a time of, of self-evaluation. It is. You don't even want to know what my old Instagram handles used to be because it's what? so bleak. <laughs> it used to be... I think it used to be like comic book lad, like based nice. on the Sex in the City character. Nice. Like, how sad is That's that? That's fun though. Um, anyways, okay. Uh, M underscore Stokes. Please see the pieces on December third. And um, thank you so much for being here. Thank this was you such for a treat. Me. If you enjoyed this episode of the Luminaries, let me know. Give me a five star rating on iTunes. Write a glowing encomium. Share it on your Instagram stories. Email it to your aunt Joan help make this series bigger and better with every episode thank you for listening and let's grow together
See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.